Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. For those that might be joining us, you weren't here last Wednesday or you're here maybe on a Wednesday night for the first time, tonight is part two of our, of, it's part four of our series on family talk. It's part two of our series of middle school and high school age, those teen years. And this family talk is about an eight or a nine week series we're doing on Wednesday nights. It came from a service that we did during the shutdown where my wife and I just recorded about an hour from our home when we weren't gathering together. And we talked about the different ages and stages of life from, from infants, from little kids, all the way up through senior citizens and everything in between, and giving biblical and practical principles, biblical principles, practical advice for those seasons of life. And so week one was infants and toddlers, and I gave some biblical principles. And then two weeks ago was elementary school age. And last week, we asked, I asked uh, Brother Ryan and Mr. Marys to bring in uh, the teenagers and, and for, for the rest of the church family to be together. Normally, they'd be in youth group. And uh, we, we looked at last week this middle school and high school age, the teen years, really, middle school and high school part one. And tonight is middle school and high school part two. And for, again, for those that might be visiting us, the way that I'm teaching in this series um, for eight or nine weeks is pretty different than my normal Wednesday night or Sunday type preaching and teaching. Normally, it'd be much more of a Bible study. We'd be walking through a, a book or a, a Bible character and verse by verse and more of a, a what might be called expository or a, a textual message. These, now it's biblical principles, and where it's not, where it's my opinion or my ideas or my suggestions, I, I mentioned that, but it's much less of a Bible study in this series, and it's much more what I would call a seminar style or a teaching type thing of more practical principles for us to apply to our lives. And, and so I hope it's a help. Again, a little different than our normal steady diet of preaching uh, in our church, a little bit different. And we welcome those that are watching online, um, whether you're a part of our church or not. But tonight is a little bit more of what, again, I would call maybe a, a seminar type uh, teaching where I give some biblical principles, but then give us some things that would be my suggestions, my counsel, my advice, things we've learned that we've done well, things we've learned that we haven't done so well, mistakes we've seen in our own family, mistakes we've seen in other people that they've counseled us and said, don't make the same mistakes we have. And so I hope it's a help to you, and I hope that, that it will be a blessing to you. I want to start by saying this. We have most of our teenagers here. Some are scattered in other spots. To, to those that are watching, to those that are in here, Teenagers are not the enemy, and raising teenagers can be, and I believe should be, a blast. I think in some ways, because we were dealing with some of the things last week, I got a text from a sweet couple in our church right afterwards that said, thank you so much for all that, the, the message, Pastor Ryan. Thank you for the things that you shared. And they have, they have wonderful kids. They have children, and, and, but their kids are all elementary age and below. And they said, to be honest, I'm scared to death now, all the things you were mentioning. And I thought that wasn't the goal. My goal is not to scare you to death. Teenagers are awesome. We all were one at one point, right? And some of us still are. And, 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 and so there's nothing to be afraid of, but I think we should be prepared. 
And Bibli- if, if you don't have, if, and you say, you're, we have people in here that are grandparents. Some of this wisdom I hope you can maybe share with others. But I, I don't want to give the idea that it's this, and sometimes we make jokes like this. Pastors will sometimes make jokes about the deacons being the demons in the church, and we joke about stuff like that. And sometimes we'll joke about, uh, people will joke about how, how terrible, the terrible twos, and teenagers are terrible. And raising, every part of life has challenges. But, but it should not be something that you dread or it's this, this animosity or it's this, uh, you know, I, it's, we're on two different sides. We're all on the same team. We should be on the same side trying to see each one of us live lives that are pleasing to God. And so I just wanted to start by saying we love, uh, my wife and I, the Lord's blessed us at this point. We have three teenagers in our family and two more yet to come. We love to be with our teens. Doesn't mean that we don't ever frustrate them and they don't ever frustrate us doesn't mean that we don't ever have conflict in our home. It doesn't mean that we have a perfect family, but we love being with our family. We love spending time together. We love family dinners. We love laughing together and family activities. You do not need to and you should not dread time with those that God should be your closest human relationships. And, and having teens can be fun, can be funny, can be crazy, can be exciting. And that being said, these years of middle school and high school are fraught with importance with challenges, with growth, and sometimes with dangers along the way. Why are we spending two weeks on, on teenagers? I read this in a book, and I'll give you the name of the book at the end here, but I think we have a screenshot of this. This is why, because these teen years are so important, it says in this book, for another thing, what young men will be in all probability depends on what they are now, and they seem to forget this. Youth is the seed time of full age. This book was written in the 1800s. The molding season in the little space of human life. The turning point in the history of man's mind. By the shoot, we judge of the tree. By the blossoms, we judge of the fruit. By the spring, we judge of the harvest. By the morning, we judge of the day. And by the character of the young man, we generally judge what he will be when he grows up. Young men, be not deceived. Think not that you can at will serve lusts and pleasures in your beginning and then go and serve God with ease at your latter end. Think not you can live with Esau and then die with Jacob. It is a mockery to deal with God in your souls in such a fashion. It is an awful mockery to suppose you can give the flower of your strength to the world and the devil and then put off the king of kings with the scraps and leavings of your hearts the wreck and remnant of your powers. It is an awful mockery, and you may find to your cost the thing cannot be done. What is he saying there? What is that author saying? He's saying these years are so vital because they are the foundation. What The, the, the habits that you're building, the character that you're building, the relationships that you're building, the addictions that you're, you're getting involved in or you aren't, you're keeping yourself from, in these four, five, six years of what we would call the teen years, they will set a direction for 40, 50, 60 years later. Now that doesn't mean, what did the psalmist say? Remember not the sins of my youth. That doesn't mean there's ever been a perfect teenager just like there's not a perfect adult. It doesn't mean if you've messed up in your teen years that you can't get grace and forgiveness and God can't use you in your adulthood. Aren't you glad for God's mercy and his long suffering, his grace and his forgiveness? It doesn't mean that, but what it does mean, and those of us that are a little older would tell you, the sins of your youth do not stay in your youth. 
The scars and regrets of your youth, they stay with you. And some of the good habits from your youth stay with you. And some of the bad habits you struggle with through there. And so these years are so vital. And, and last week, I, I, every, every week with each age group, I've given you what I would say would be a key word. Last week, the key word was the word relationships. I think the key word for this age group is relationships. And I gave you uh, four areas of vital relationships for middle school and high school age uh, young people. I gave you, number one, relationships, your relationship, young people's relationship with God. We talked about it being a personal faith, not just growing up in a cultural Christianity, but really learning what it is to know and love God for yourself and your relationship with God. And, and we looked at last week your relationship with your parents and siblings and that family relationship. And then we looked at, uh, and, 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 and Satan tries to attack in your teen years, your relationship with those God-given authorities. And I told parents and teens, it ought not be that it's, it's constant uh, battle one against another. And then we talked about relationship with peers, friends, and even dating relationships. Talked about that a little bit last week. And then lastly, last week was a teen's relationship with money, learning to work, to budget, to give, to save, to spend. And I saved this one because I, there's a lot to cover and there was no way I was going to be able to get it done last week. And tonight is probably, in, in this generation, the single greatest and detrimental thing in our children's lives, and that is their relationship with technology. Their relationship, now sometimes all those other relationships kind of cross over. Our relationship with God is affected by our relationship with technology. Our relationship with our parents can be affected with our relationship with technology. Our relationship with, with our peers is affected by our relationship with technology, and even our relationship with money. And what kids wanna give their lives to and what they wanna spend their money on is affected by their relationship with technology. Their relationship with technology, it, it, it's such a huge part of our lives. And again, probably in my opinion, the single greatest danger and, and, and possible potentially detrimental thing in not just our children's lives, by the way, in all of our lives. Now, technology is not evil in and of itself. All of us, I'm using technology to preach from. This iPad right now is being used to share scriptural truths with God's people. Technology can be used in wonderful ways. But it also can be used in very detrimental ways. I, I spoke with a, a sweet, faithful person in our church that would be in their senior citizen years, and they said one of the things that caused great detriment to their, their lives was technology. It's amazing how this can affect every one of us, no matter the age. 30 years ago, if you were a teenager, you were raising kids, what did you have to worry about as it related to technology? TV and radios, right? I don't think they still, people weren't really using record players 30 years ago. I think those were done by then. I guess you could say landline phones if that's technology. I guess that's kind of technology. But you had TV and radio. And if you didn't have cable, you had like 10 channels you had to worry about. There was no such thing as a TiVo or a DVR. You couldn't record or play something on demand. There was no streaming. If you wanted to watch something that was on when you weren't home, you had to put a VHS tape into the VCR and record it and hope you didn't record over something else that was important. How many wedding videos had been recorded on somebody trying to record a, a sporting event or something? And, and, and if you did have cable, the pastor could preach against HBO and Showtime. And basically, if you didn't sign up for those two channels, you were probably going to stay away from 90% of the worst kind of content that was on the television. Technology, the, our relationship with technology was much simpler than it is today. 
It was much different than it is today. Satellite TV came in, but even still, if you wanted to see some of the worst kind of filth on, on television, you had to have, or, or in technology, you had to have a friend whose dad or mom had a stash of it somewhere. You had to figure out a way to pay for it on pay-per-view, or there was no such thing as watching that on demand. Now today, adults, how many of you have a smartphone? I've got mine right here. Teens, and you're not in trouble for, for this. This isn't bad. How many of you, teens, uh, if you have your smartphone, hold it up right now. Go ahead. You've got a smartphone. Go ahead and hold it up right here. If you've got your smartphone on you, hold it up right here. Pretty much probably 75, 80% of them have it on them right now. And, and so before you had to worry about a television with 12 or 13 channels, and if you had, HB, if you had uh, cable, just cancel the two really bad channels, and you would, you would stay away from most of it. Any of us, adults and teens, that have phones that almost every one of us would hold up, adults and teens, every song that has ever been written about every subject, God-honoring or not, can be accessed on this phone in seconds. Every type of video, picture, violence, vulgarity, cursing, immorality can be accessed in a few seconds. Yet, when was the last time, those of us that have teenagers, we checked what types of influences were actually coming into the hearts and minds of our young people through this thing that has just become a ubiquitous part of our culture? The phone that every one of us, this is not preaching against cell phones or against teenagers. I carry mine with me all day long. This thing that every one of us has with us every moment of every day. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew 12. I want you to see why is it so important, our relationship with technology. Turn to Matthew chapter number 12. Let's look at Matthew 12, verse number 33. Matthew 12, verse number 33. Jesus speaking here, and he says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. You walk by and say, oh, that's a lemon tree. How do you know that? Not because of the leaves, not because of the roots, not because of the, the trunk. You know that by the fruit. Oh, there's an apple tree. You know that by the fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit. Notice verse 34. Oh, generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Would you read that last phrase from the word for to speaketh? Would you read that aloud with me? Verse 34. Ready? Begin. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. One more time. Would you read that phrase aloud? Ready? Begin. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart, what comes in in our influences naturally comes out in our actions. What you put in, what you watch, what you listen to, what you think about, what you hear, what you, what the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I've been there before where I've said something that I, I can't believe I just said that. I don't know why I would have said that. You know why I said that? Because first I had been thinking about it. I had allowed that thought to creep into my heart. Notice what it says in verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth what? Good things. 
And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth what? Evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. By the way, that's a convicting thought for every one of us that uses a phone. Every idle word that men shall speak, and I believe as you apply it today, every idle word that you text and every idle word that you tweet and every idle word that you post and every idle word that you direct message, you shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Verse 37, for by thy words thou shalt shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. What is he teaching here? He's saying, guard your heart because what you allow in is what's going to come out. I just don't know why my teenager's acting that way. I just don't know why my husband's acting that way. I just don't know why my friend is treating me that way. Why? That somewhere along the way, if it's things that are evil and wrong, and it's not a spirit of Christ, and it's not a spirit of joy, we have allowed some influences because out of the good treasure of a good man's heart, he will speak good things, but out of an evil treasure will come forth evil things. If, if you're struggling with evil fruit in your life or in your loved one's life, it's, a, it's an indicator there are some evil influences. There are some things that in the heart that shouldn't be there. Again, why does this matter so much to me? Because the truth of the matter is, on average, there's probably not a week goes by on average that we are not dealing with heartache, scars, and hurt that stems from teenagers' relationship with technology. I saw this tweet last week. I think we have a screenshot of it there, and it says, teenagers, the sins you give yourselves over to now, you'll spend the rest of your life trying, often unsuccessfully, to free yourself from the grip and consequences of. I've seen it again and again. Ask for faith, grace, and a love for him who is better. Would you turn with me over to Proverbs chapter number seven that goes along. You can leave that tweet up there. It goes along with that tweet. Proverbs chapter number seven. What is he saying there? Teenagers, be careful what you're getting involved in now. If you're not careful, will haunt you for years and years and years. How many married couples have I counseled that said the, the, the root of our struggles in our marriage go back to when I was in high school? The root of our struggles in this area of my life, this addiction, goes back to high school. The root of this thing that I have a hard time trusting God over goes back to my teen years, middle school. Proverbs chapter number 7. Proverbs 7 is a story of a young person, a youth, getting mixed up in some temptations that he wasn't trying to get mixed up in. And there's a strange woman that tries to tempt him. And in verse 21, the Bible says, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stalks. Notice this in verse 23. Till a dart strike through his liver, it destroys his life. As a bird hasteth to the snare, notice this phrase, and knoweth not that it is for his life. A young man gets involved in some temptations, and before he knows it, he gives in to those temptations, and destruction comes to his life, and he has no idea the lifelong consequences of the decisions he made in his youth. 
Verse number 24, a dad talking to a son. Hearken unto me, listen unto me now therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded. There's many lives that have been destroyed. Young people, yea, many strong men, not just young people, adults have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Why am I preaching what I'm preaching tonight? I feel like it's verse 24. Hearken unto me now, listen to me, children, and attend to the words of my mouth. I'm trying to get us as parents and those as teenagers to realize some of the decisions and some of the temptations and some of the relationships and some of the influences and some of the things that you watch and the, the things, places you go and the websites you visit. Some of those things can destroy your life if you're not careful. Hearken unto me now, therefore, and listen to the word of God. Listen to what God has. Your life matters more than these four or five or six years, what it could lead to. And so tonight we talk about the relationship with technology. By the way, adults, you say, I don't have teenagers. I want you to take inventory in how is your relationship to technology? Is it drawing you closer to Christ or farther away from him? Joe and Camp, don't talk again while I'm talking up here. Pay attention right up here. It says in page 86, digital technology, a book my wife was reading, she, she gave it to me. It's called Refresh. This mom talking about her family and her spiritual life. It says digital technology is killing us. It's killing our souls and our bodies. It's killing our marriages, our families, and friendships. It's killing our listening skills and our speaking abilities. It's killing face-to-face -face communication and interfamily relationships. It's killing our minds, especially our ability to focus and concentrate. I'll guarantee it. I've been preaching for about, uh, about 18 minutes. There have been some that couldn't, in 18 minutes, you've already had to grab your phone and look at something. And I've been there. It's killing our ability uh, to, to uh, focus and concentrate. It's killing communion with God as it usurps communication with him first thing in the morning and last thing at night. It's killing our peace with its never-ending blizzard of notifications, beeps, and buzzes. It's killing our mealtimes through constant interruptions and distractions. It's killing God's voice throughout the day as we fill every traffic and bathroom stop with social media check-ins. It's killing our morality as the tsunami of porn drowns multitudes of young and old, male and female. It's killing our health, especially through its shortening, shallowing, and interrupting of sleep. It's killing our beauty intake as we walk through the spectacular world with our heads buried in the black hole of our devices. It's killing our education as social media distracts and diverts students in classrooms, lecture halls, and libraries. It's killing our finances as productive work time is stolen from our employers to be frittered away on triviality. It's killing the service of others as we selfie ourselves into self-obsession. It's killing our identities as we cultivate and project so many social media personas that we've forgotten who we really are. It's killing privacy as every moment is now digitized, not for family archives, but for instant upload to the world for likes and hearts by complete strangers. Digital technology has punctured every part of our being and is draining the life out of us. Want to restore some sanity? This author goes on to say, she says, I've found three helpful ways to calm my use of digital technology, build quiet into my days, and renew my inner life. I can't say I do all these perfectly, but these are my ideals. Here's what she says. Number one, I, she says, I try to mute phone and computer notifications. Number two, she says, I limit check-ins. The average person, listen to this, checks her phone. And this was several years ago. The studies I've read actually say it's more than this. But they say the average person checks her phone nine times an hour, 110 times a day. 
with peak hours being between 5 and 8 when we should be spending time with our closest loved ones. Annual Internet Trends reports for 2013 found the average user checks the phone nearer to 150 times per day. That was 2013. If each check-in only takes only a minute, that's two to three hours a day lost to productivity or relaxing. According to the Pew Research Center, women spend an average of 12 hours per week using social media. That's nearly two hours a day. One of my friends was startled when I told her this, but after thinking about it, she admitted, I can see how this is true. It doesn't seem like so much because it's just a few minutes here and a few minutes there, but they add up. In my crusade, she says, for peace and quiet, I check email only three to four times a day and social media once a day. Unless something is really urgent, I don't reply immediately. Same goes for text and voicemail. I try to respond to everything during the one time each day I set aside for administrative tasks. She says, I don't carry my phone around with me at home. And then the last thing she says is, meet with God first. When I start my day with email, social media, or the news, my subsequent Bible reading and prayers are a distracted mess. I prefer to get a cup of tea, enjoy the silence, and meet with God first. Then I can start my day in a calm frame of mind. It makes the day more conducive to being caught up with God than with everything and everything else out there. As I said, these are my ideals. I can't say I always succeed, but when I do, I enjoy much more peace and productivity. I'm always looking for new ways to reduce digital uh, stimulation and increase mental calm, such as not checking the phone when I'm standing in line or using the Do Not Disturb feature. Experiments on mice found that two hours of daily silence produced new brain cells in the hippocampus, the area of the brain associated with learning, memory, and emotion. If it did that for mice, what could it do for you? Parents, teens, I want to give you three thoughts as it relates to teens and the relationship to technology. Three thoughts. A lot of this is going to be my suggestion and my opinion. You're going to answer to God for how you lead your life and your family, and I'll answer to God for mine. I'm not trying to control your family. I'm trying to give you some food for thought. And from somebody that has dealt with hundreds of teenagers over 20-plus years of ministry, um, and maybe into the thousands of teenagers and their families, these are some things that I have learned through the years that we've done well and we haven't done so well in our own lives and in others as well. Three thoughts regarding teens and their relationship to technology. Number one, late access. Late access. What do I mean by that? A child entering fourth or fifth grade, it's not the rite of passage. They need to have access to every piece of technology they need. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Does it, well, my kid is, every, everyone else in their class has it, so I've got to give it to them at 12 years old. Understand the dangers that you're putting in the hand of a 12 or 13-year-old who's still trying to figure out just about everything in his or her life. Again, I've sat with teenagers in offices where they wept and said, I wish I could get rid of my phone, but I, I'm addicted to knowing about this. I've got to watch that. I've got to know what people think about this. And they would never say that in front of their friends, but I, I've heard them say it to me and Brother Ryan the same and others and through the years and the hurt. And, and, and I'll ask them, that, that relationship with your phone, is it helping your life or hurting your life? And almost without fail, they'll admit it's hurting my life. And yet, like you and like me, it's really tough to get discipline and control over it. Late access, and it's, again, it should not be a rite of passage for a child to have a cell phone or a teen to have a cell phone. In our family, the way we've looked at it is we waited until they needed it, and, and I don't even know that they needed it, but, but, but it, there was going to be where they were going to be working a job regularly, like a full-time job in the summer, and they were going to be gone for many hours a day. Um, for Ashlyn, our oldest, who's now in college, I think she was 17 when she got her first phone. Before that, she did all of her texting, all of her phone calls on my, my wife's phone. Um, and again, that doesn't mean Ashlyn's been perfect with all of her use of technology. None of my kids have been perfect with, because their dad hasn't been perfect with his use of technology. 
But some guidelines that we put in, um, I, I think it was the end of her junior year or the beginning of her senior year when she got uh, her first smartphone. For Titus, it was two months ago, his 16th birthday, we bought him. And before that, he had, I guess you could call it a smartphone. It was the cheap one at Walmart that had no data and you couldn't surf anything. And it took 42 hours to get to one website. Um, but, but we got him an iPhone for his 16th birthday. But that was after... Um, and that was the main present that we got him there. That was after uh, he and his brother had started a business and were working four or five days a week away from the house in neighborhoods by themselves, walking several miles by themselves in neighborhoods where we wanted to be able to get a hold of him. And my wife was tired of sending her phone with them all day and being without her phone for eight or ten hours. And so for us, and then even with that, with the late access, both of them had driver's licenses. And I'm not trying to embarrass my kids. I, I can only give you our experience. TJ, who's in ninth grade, um, who, who just turned uh, 14, TJ has a really cool phone. And you have it on you today, Teach? He never has it on him. It's, a, it's the coolest flip phone you've ever seen. You can find it at Walmart for $19.99, and the only time TJ ever touches it is when him and his brother are going to go out to work, and again, they're going to be walking in neighborhoods, and they need to call each other. Has no internet access, none of that. You say, well, what's the problem? At some point, you've got to teach your kids. Sure, I do. But, but just like I'm not letting my, eight, my eight-year-old son Trey drive the car, there are dangers that he's not ready for at that age. Uh, for me, my, my 14-year-old freshman doesn't have a need for a smartphone. And you can decide what to do with your family, but I've met with some of your 14 and 15-year-olds, and I understand that for many of them, they don't need that smartphone either. I know that I'm a really popular guy with the teenagers right now. Uh, but, but I would just say, understand what you're doing as it relates to content, to behavior, to addictions. I passed this out, this article, if you have this. If you didn't get it, you can get it from the ushers on the way out. They were passing this out when you came in. It's a provocative headline. It's by a, 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 a conservative blogger. And I won't read the whole article, but he says, Dear parents, there's absolutely no good reason to buy your child a smartphone. He says, as the author explains, I'm in the third paragraph, middle of the third paragraph. As the author explains, kids today are isolated and antisocial. They don't do anything but stare at their phones all day. Now, that's not necessarily true, but, but it's definitely more than it should be. And adults the same. They're lethargic. They're unhappy. Rates of adolescent suicide and depression are skyrocketing. And it's not a coincidence that this spike has occurred in direct correlation with smartphones becoming a household item for kids. The next paragraph, middle of it, they are utterly immersed in the world behind the screen and it's changing everything about them, the way they think, communicate, and relate. Second paragraph, the next page, the number of the Atlantic, the article in the Atlantic says the number of teenagers who get together with their friends on a regular basis has dropped by 40% in the last 15 years. And that's not because they've decided they really like hanging out with their families. They don't talk to their families. They're just in their rooms on their phones or on a screen. They're at, the average kid today spends, listen to this, this was written three years ago. The average kid today spends nine hours a day staring at screens. By the way, I would say the average adult probably somewhere close. This isn't all anti-kids. This is all of us considering our relationship with technology and what is it doing to our relationship with God and others. If you figure eight or nine hours for sleep and you assume they aren't staring at their phones for at least some portion of the school day, that leaves approximately zero hours of non-sleep, non-school, non-screen time. This is not how you raise human beings. The next page says, but childhood, talking about the fact that childhood kids going out and playing out in the, and actually you know, getting dirty and breaking a bone, but childhood is a phenomenon, he says, in the second to last paragraph, that doesn't seem to really exist anymore. A childhood spent on social media is not a childhood. It isn't a life. It isn't anything. The next page, third paragraph. Fortunately, there's an easy solution. It goes like this. Don't give your kid a smartphone. On average, kids are now given their first smartphone at the age of 10. 
That means millions are getting them at nine, eight, seven, or even younger. There's no valid reason for it. Oh, you want to be able to get a hold of your kid at any moment? Well, I think that's a bit excessive, but fine. Get them a flip phone with no internet access. They still sell those, and you don't have to mortgage the house to afford them. Why does he need a phone with internet apps and games at the age of 8 or 10 or 11 or 12 or 13? Why does he ever need one? Why would you ever buy him one before he has a job and is able to buy it for himself? Answer, there is no good answer. He doesn't need a smartphone. No child in history has needed a smartphone, which is how so many children manage to survive without them. I've had this discussion with parents many times, and the only justification I've ever heard is that the world is different now, and this is what kids do. Yes, it's what they do. They do it because we allow them to do it. We don't just allow it. We facilitate it, fund it, make actual financial sacrifices to ensure they can have this device that will destroy their ability to relate with human beings. Here, Junior, I just spent $700 so you could develop a porn addiction before you hit puberty. Enjoy. Next paragraph, why do we sit here as parents acting utterly powerless to exercise any influence over the children we're raising? Who runs your, I saw a screenshot from a Facebook parents group today, a group, a Facebook parents group of a, of a mom asking, my eight-year-old changed the password on the iPad. Two questions. Number one, do you think it's okay for me to take it away from him? Number two, does anybody know how I can change it back? He won't tell me what it is. Who's the parent? And again, I don't know that that's the, the situation here, but again, in all of our homes, who's the parent? Who runs your household, he says? Who owns everything and makes all the money? If you don't want your 10-year-old to spend his entire childhood staring lifelessly into the void like some kind of lobotomy patient, you have absolute power to impose that desire. Just don't buy him a phone. It's very simple. What's he going to do? Beat you up? Rob a bank so he can buy one himself? Well, at least that would be some form of physical activity. Seriously, what are you afraid of? Why are people so petrified of not obeying their child's every demand? I don't fully understand the psychology of it, the last paragraph, but it's clear that there is something about the world behind the screen that sucks us in and dominates our lives. The pull is almost magnetic. It requires an immense amount of discipline to properly regulate how much time you spend in this realm. I have to be here talking about the internet for my job, and it is often difficult for me as an adult to know when to put the phone or laptop down and return to real life. Most nights I tuck it all away and do something else with my time, but there are nights when I pick up my phone just to check one thing, to respond to an email, to post something on Facebook, whatever, and next thing you know it's three hours and 18 YouTube clips later, and I feel like I've spent the entire evening in a coma. Can I expect my children to resist the urge to become screen-obsessed robots if I can barely resist it myself? Can I regulate my children's phone time if I can hardly regulate my own? Well, perhaps that answers my earlier question. Parents enlist smartphones as a form of daycare so they don't have their own Facebook and Netflix time interrupted. We want our kids to be zombies because zombies are easier to deal with until they start feasting on human flesh. The fact that it robs them of their childhood, obliterates their social skills, steals their joy and vigor for life, and exposes them to every form of sexual debauchery known to man is a price worth paying. At least it gets them out of our hair. We've got other things to do. Well, not things to do, but websites to visit, links to click, videos to watch, likes to count. Of course our children are zombies. They're being raised by them after all. Isn't that convicting? And I ask you to take inventory. And young people, if your parents let you do whatever you want, you need to seek to have enough maturity to understand that wrong decisions, just like I have to understand, wrong decisions with technology can destroy any one of our lives. Social media can be incredibly addicting and dangerous to the mindset of anyone. 
especially teenagers. It can create feelings of worthlessness, self-doubt, so much more. They begin to find their identity and how many people liked that page and who was the first to comment and what did that person say and did I look pretty enough and was this filter good enough? And they find their entire acceptance and approval in what everybody else thinks about a picture that they posted on that social media account. By the way, I'm on social media. I'm on three different social networks. I'm not saying social networking and, and social media is all wrong. I think it can be used for good and to encourage and to help and it can be a good thing, but it, there are very obvious and present dangers to that. And we can all think this way, but teenagers especially, how come that person got more likes than me? And how come my life isn't as good as that person's and what I see online? And there's bullying online and blackmail from people who convince them to talk about things they shouldn't or send pictures of things they shouldn't. And, and not to mention the stupid stuff that they post as teenagers can come back to, to completely mess up their college acceptance or careers. How many people have been canceled? I saw just recently a guy that got drafted to the NHL, professional hockey player, and they rescinded his contract because of something that he had done when he was in high school. And we let them have just carte blanche to do whatever they want. Do you have parents, do I have any idea who is influencing our children through their social media accounts? For us, none of the children living in our house right now are on social media. They can get all the social interaction they need with their family and with their friends at school. We allowed Ashlyn to get it the summer after her senior year, a few weeks before she went to college. And before she got it, she asked that. I had asked her about a year before in her senior year, honey, do you think you'd like to get an Instagram account? And again, some of you might think I'm a dictator. That's fine. I'll answer to God for how I raised my daughter and, 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 and hopefully some of the heartaches that I save her from in her when she's 15, 16, 17 years old. And, and I don't mean that pridefully or harshly. That's fine. You can think what you want, and I'm not going to come into your life. But I do because of the stuff that we deal with, Kevin, the stuff that we deal with. I am going to share some biblical principles and practical principles. And I asked Ashlyn to send it to me when I'd asked her in her senior year if she wanted to get Instagram. I wanted her to get it while she was in my house so I could help guide her through it. And I don't remember why she didn't. I don't know if she got in trouble. I don't know if, if we just forgot about it, but she didn't. And then her, about July after she graduated, she said, Dad, do you think I can get Instagram? I said, yeah. I mean, she's going to be, she's 18. She's going to leave my house. Yeah, you could get Instagram. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go read a few articles about some of the dangers of social media. I want you to email those to me. And then I want you to send me your guidelines that will, that will guide you in the posts that you make. Because, honey, there, it can be used in great ways, but it can be super dangerous as well. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of dangers. And, and I texted her today because I couldn't find it. I said, do you still have that that you had sent me? She posted, I think we might have a screenshot of it. She posted, she sent me this today. I will only post things that I will not regret seeing later in the future and that will not hurt me or anyone else's reputation, including Christ. When I post something, it will have purpose and meaning. Now, all of you are going you're gonna to come and tell her that the last post she did doesn't meet these criteria. Don't, don't bug her, all right? Leave her alone. When I post something, it will have a purpose and meaning. I'll put up appropriate captions and pictures and remember that everyone can see these pics forever. I will post about my family and my life and not do it for a show, but rather to encourage others and let them see Christ through me. I realize that I will be posting things that others will see, and I need to set a good example for my peers and everyone that sees. I won't let Insta consume me and find my worth through pics. Has she done that perfectly since she sent me that? I doubt it. But hopefully it's helping to guide her thoughts. And there was some, there was some level of, if you're going to have it, what are you going to think through this before we just start posting all kinds of stupidity? Uh, and, 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 and so, by the way, I've told you how great we've been in holding our kids not getting smartphones till they were later, late access, and no social media. Guess what? And I'm not trying to embarrass my kids. 
With both of my children that have smartphones, we've had issues where we've had to deal with them for unwise usage of their smartphones. With Ashlyn and her social media account, we've already had to have conversations about unwise usage of her social media account. This is not perfect. What I'm telling you is, with all of the guidelines that we did, not going till 16 or 17 at 18, they still aren't equipped to, to deal with it perfectly because at 42, I'm still not a deal, equipped to deal with it perfectly. Why would I want to open that door up to a middle school mind that is, is that much less mature? Number one, I said late access. Number two, limited access. Limited access. What does the Bible say? The book of Proverbs says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. What does that mean? The more you talk, the more likely you're going to say something that you shouldn't. The more you're on a phone call, the more you text, the more direct messages, the more you post, the more stories you put up, the more likely you're going to put up something that's immature, stupid, or sinful. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. You're going to end up doing something dumb, but he that is wise refraineth his lips. He limits his his activity, his words, his communication. He limits those things. And I would challenge you parents with technology and teens, if your parents don't do this, seek some outside accountability, limited access, guard against technology addiction. You can read the stats. I don't have time. I got to finish up in 12 minutes, but it, is, it can be so addicting. I would challenge you if you have a child that has a phone, ask them to see their phone today and go. If you have an iPhone, it's easy to find it. And if you don't know how to do it, Google it and check the screen time on your child's phone. It'll tell you how much they've been on it today, how much they've been on it this week. By the way, if you want to be convicted about yourself, check your own. Any of you, mine, I don't know why, mine comes on Sunday, right when I pull on the property every week to get ready to preach. Is that when everybody's comes? I get a notification on my screen time. And I'm trying to be spiritual. Is that when it all goes? I'm trying to be spiritual, get ready to preach. And every Sunday when I'm pulling into the parking lot, I get this little purple notification that tells me how long I've been on my phone this week. And I think, you are the biggest complete loser. And I try to swipe it real fast before I can see the numbers because I don't, it's like stepping on a scale. I don't want to know the truth. I don't step on my wife's scale and I don't want to look at my screen time numbers. But parents, do you have any idea the screen time of your kids on their phones? With enough time, your child will end up saying or doing something they shouldn't or feeling something they shouldn't, feeling they don't measure up to everyone else's life or developing, uh, developing lusts or addictions that they shouldn't. From an article I was reading on this, it says, you might expect that teens spend so much time in these new spaces, talking about technology, because it makes them happy. But the most data suggests that it does not. The Monitoring Future Survey, funded by the National Institute of Drug Abuse, designed to be nationally representative, has asked 12th graders more than 1,000 questions every year since 1975, and has asked 8th and 10th graders since 1991. The survey asked teens how happy they are and also how much of their leisure time they spend on various activities, including in-person social interaction, exercise. In recent years, screen activities such as and how much time they spend on screen activities, the results could not be clearer. Teens who spend more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy, and those who spend more time than average on non-screen activities are more likely to be happy. There's not a single exception. Eighth graders who spend 10 or more hours a week on social media are 56% more likely to say they're unhappy than those who devote less time to social media. 
You say, well, 10 hours is a lot. Those who spend six to nine hours are still 47% more likely to say they're unhappy. The opposite is true of in-person interactions. Those who spend an above average amount of time with their friends in person are 20% less likely to say they're unhappy. Social networking sites like Facebook promise to connect us to friends. But the portrait of, of, of this teens emerging from the data is one of a lonely, dislocated generation. Teens who visit social networking sites every day but see their friends in person less frequently are most likely to agree with the statements, a lot of times I feel lonely. I often feel left out of things. I often wish I had more good friends. Teens, listen to this, teens' feelings of loneliness spiked in 2013 and have remained high since. I, I challenge you, I'm going to get there in a minute. Not only is it loneliness, so is depression. Once again, the effects of screen activities is unmistakable. The more time teens spend looking at screens, the more likely they are to report symptoms of depression. Eighth graders who are heavy users of social media increase their risk of depression by 27%, while those who play sports, go to religious services, or even do homework more than average cut their risk significantly. Teens who spend three hours a day or more on electronic devices are 35% more likely to have a risk factor for suicide, such as making a suicide plan. Show that graph, if you will, real fast. People started using social media. It, they start, the network started about 06, 07, 08. It became widespread in 09 and 10. Go check every statistic you can find in the last decade on mental health, depression, suicide, in all ages, but especially teens. This graph, almost 40% of girls who spend more, more than five hours a day on social media show symptoms of depression. Girls with depression, zero hours, you can see where it is. When it goes zero to one hours, where it goes, guys are the blue, girls are the red. One to three hours, where it goes, three to five hours, five plus hours, the percentage of guys and girls, it goes up the more time. And by the way, you talk to your teen and they're going to say, no, that's not right, that's not true. That's not because it's something that is, has become a grip in their hearts. But again, in my life, it might just be anecdotal evidence of dealing with hundreds of teens over the last few years, but the anecdotal evidence of my life and the families I've counseled with absolutely bears this out. For us, what, what are some things with limited access? I got to go quick. I, I knew it was going to take a while, and I got to go fast. What are the, for us, guidelines I would suggest you to consider. Number one, no TV or phones in their room. The home we just moved into a few years ago had TVs in every room of our, of our house. Every kid's bedroom already had them up. My kids were like, sweet, we all got TVs in our rooms. Dad, look at that. That's awesome. Annalise would have had one, and Ashlyn would have had one, and the boys share a room. They would have had one. And, and guess what we did before anybody moved into their room? Every one of those TVs came down. And our, our kids do not take their phones into their rooms. Again, I'm not saying our kids won't, haven't done anything dumb on a phone and won't do anything dumb on a phone, but I'm not going to give them unlimited access to do something dumb on a phone. My kids may do, have done, and will do some stupid stuff on phones, but I'm not going to give them eight hours a night to practice it. They're going, to have to, they're going to have to work harder than that to, to mess their lives up under my authority. For, for us, my, my, my son, his phone, it stays on the counter. When he gets home, it goes to the counter. He doesn't, he's not checking it all night long. It's on the phone. I mean, it's on the counter. My phone goes to the counter. My wife's phone's on the counter. TJ's phone is somewhere not being charged because it's a flip phone. It doesn't do anything. And at night, my wife takes all of those devices up to our room. What if I, I'm going to skip that for the sake of time. Uh, 
For us, I mentioned this already last night, for us, no AirPods while home with the family, unless you're doing homework and there's a reason you need to be quiet, to concentrate. By the way, if they're doing homework, it's at a computer that is open where everybody sees that they're actually doing homework. It's not they're doing YouTube research for three hours on something and their homework is on Instagram. By the way, because of the fact that we monitor, I'm going to get my kids in trouble right now, but we monitor our kids' stuff, I know that some of your kids, while they're doing homework, are not doing homework. And while you've taken their devices away because they're in trouble, they have figured out ways to still go and, and communicate in technology in other ways. Our kids have, they have all kinds of ways to, your kids, my kids, your kids, all of our kids, just like when we were there, are not as good as we think they are. Family computers out in the open. We put the, everything away in the evening during family time. No devices at the dinner table. Number three, I got to go quick, controlled access. Controlled access. Late access, limited access, controlled access. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. You being involved, knowing what they're doing wrong and correcting it brings wisdom. My kids mess up, we're going to correct it, and hopefully it brings wisdom. But a child left to himself, no control, no guidelines, bringeth his mother to shame. TV, computer, YouTube, social media, phone, I challenge you to check the history. Go through and look at their apps. Go through and look at the app that they downloaded that says it's a calculator, but it's not a calculator. It's an app that they send pictures to each other that you, you don't want them sending. Go, go find out and, and grab their phone when they're not ready and see the extra Instagram account that they created so that they could have all kinds of vulgar conversations with kids that you don't know about because you only see the, the main Instagram you, account you think they created. Go and see what's happening in your children's lives. And by the way, you say, Pastor Ryan, that's not my kids. That, that my child does, has not had, I, my kids had a phone for a year, two, three, and has never had a single issue with anything you've talked about. May I say this, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. If that is true, if you believe your child has not had any of these issues of inappropriate phone usage, there are only two options. One, you have the, one of the most spiritual teenagers in all of America, or two, you're being deceived. Because I have not used my phone perfectly. And neither have you. And, and with the guidelines and limited access and trying to train and all of that, I already told you, I've had to sit down with both of my children that have had smartphones and guide them through multiple things where they were using it unwisely in ways that would hurt their lives if they continued to use it in that way. So what, what are the thoughts on controlled access? I've got three minutes. Number one, know their passwords. If my kids are going to be on social media, I have access to their accounts. You're the parent. You're paying the bill. And by the way, figure out which accounts they have that they didn't tell you about. Number two, keep the devices with you at night. I don't, I, get rid of the devices. If you can't trust, if your kid's getting up in the middle of the night trying to go find it, throw every computer in your house away. Sleep on top of it. Put it in your pajamas. I, I don't care. But, but don't let your child... Don't let your child destroy their lives right under your nose. By the way, again, I, I know I'm meddling a lot tonight, but in my opinion, your kids should be in bed before you are. I hear, I hear from our, our teens, and I love our teens. They know I love them. I hear from them, what time do you go to bed? 11, midnight, 1, 2. Again, whatever they're telling you that they have five hours of homework every night, if that's true, come talk to me and Kevin. I'll talk to the teachers. My kids are going to the same class as your kids are, and either they're, they're, they're not doing their homework or they don't have five hours a night. Don't, your kids, there's nothing good happening at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night when you're, you're asleep in bed. Number four, check what they've been using. Number five, read their texts. Go on their DMs. 
Let them know that if you find out they've deleted texts or messages, there's consequences. Again, I'm not trying to throw all my family's business out here, but we've dealt with this. When I found out my kids were hiding stuff from me, there were immediate consequences and let them know we find out about this again, you lose it all. It's done. You you got to be the parent. And by the way, here's the last thing I'll say because I've given you a whole bunch of external rules here and that's not my general style. But let me just say this, Ryan and I were talking about this today. Know that if you've taken their device away or put all these rules in place, you haven't solved the problem. It's a heart issue, and they will find ways around it. They'll get a device you don't know about. They'll, talk, they'll use a friend's device. They'll, they'll do all of those things, so you've got to deal with the heart. While you're putting guidelines up, you've got to be working with the heart. Because even if you can control everything till they're 18, guess what? If they take that heart with them when they're 18, they do whatever they want at that point. I've got a year and a half left with Titus. If I don't train, if God doesn't get a hold of his heart— I don't care how many guidelines I keep for the next 18 months. At 18 years old and one month, he's going to do whatever he wants before him and God. We must see God get a hold of their hearts. But while we're focusing on God getting a hold of their hearts doesn't mean we just let them have access to everything in the world they want. Guidelines to protect them while God's getting a hold of their hearts, Lord willing. Set up accountability software. I'll give you a few if you want to write it down, parents. You can come talk to Ryan or Caleb Powers on more of this. Um, But a few that I would suggest you to look into on parental accountability is one called Circle. Circle Parental Accountability. Uh, You can look into that. It's called Circle. Another one's called Covenant Eyes. It's an accountability software. One's called Bark. And there's a website. This is not a software, but a website that that gives resources and and articles and on stuff on all of this called protectyoungeyes.com. Protectyoungeyes.com. Again, do not put a piece of software or an app on the phone and believe you're done. Your parenting is not done. If their heart is not right, they will find a way around that software. What I, we were talking about this today. For me, that type of software is to try to help put a roadblock in a moment of temptation to do something they shouldn't. But it's not fixing the heart. And so understand that. And then lastly, under, under um, controlled access, number seven, one of the keys for parents, open lines of communication. Let your kids talk to you about what they're struggling with. Let them talk to you about what, they're, they're, what they've gotten into. What they, it, they've done something wrong. Let them talk to you about it. Talk to them about it. Ask them, where are they struggling? Check on all these things. But it's not ju- the, the answer is not taking the phone and throwing it against the wall, blowing up in anger and hoping that scares them straight. The answer is we've got to find out where's the root problem that's leading them to these hurtful behaviors. Same thing if you're struggling. By the way, teens are not the only ones in here struggling with destructive behaviors on their, their phone. Can I just say that? I could go and preach a whole message on statistics on Christian men in pornography and pastors in pornography. The statistics are out there. This section isn't the only one struggling with destructive behaviors. And by the way, pornography is not the only destructive behavior on, on devices. But they're not the only group struggling with it. But keep open lines of communication. Talk to your child. Well, I just, I think you've been a little, you've talked a little bit too much about some stuff tonight, Pastor Ryan, and it is a little different than what I would normally do. This is not the first time your teenager has been talking about this stuff. They're just not talking to you about it. And they're not talking to me about it. 
Keep those lines of communication open. Bring alcohol, drugs, physical relationships, online stuff. Let them talk to you about the challenges and the struggles and seek to walk with them through this. Bring these challenges into the light. Parents, teenagers, Satan operates in the dark. It's why my kids don't go in their room and close the door all night. It's why I don't go in my room and close the door all night. It's why I don't take my laptop to my room and close the door. It's why when I work, it's out in the open. It's why my wife knows my phone password. It's why I don't delete text messages. Why? Satan operates in the dark. If I'm trying to hide something, there's a problem in my heart. Jesus is the light. He operates in the light. Bring, we all struggle with sin. We all have temptations. We all have attacks. Bring it out into the light and Satan will not be able to defeat you any longer. When you bring it out there and you deal with it, young people, hiding it is not going to make it better. Adults, hiding it is not going to make it better. Again, I'm not telling you to run your home exactly like we run ours. We haven't figured it all out. Our teens are not perfect. I deal with stuff all the time with my kids. What I'm telling you is, be the parent. Think through what you're actually doing. You can't control their heart, but you should be aware of what's happening in the heart. What influences out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaketh. I just don't understand why my teenager has this bad spirit. I don't understand why they won't talk to me. I don't understand why they're getting so much trouble. I don't understand why they have so many, you know, much anger outbursts. I don't understand why they're so sad all the time. There's some influences that are coming in that are unhealthy. Deal with that and get to the heart. Understand the grave dangers that face all of us with our relationship with technology. And what did he say in Proverbs? To teenagers, and he knoweth not that it is for his life. That book recommendation, if you want to get it, it was written in the 1800s. It's called Thoughts for Young Men by Ryle. Another one, parents, I mentioned it last week. If you don't have it, I challenge you to read and buy Passionate Parenting by Schmidt if you're raising teenagers. For all of you, if you have Netflix, I'd encourage you. It's funny, I'm telling you to go on technology on this message. I'd encourage you. I'd encourage you to watch The Social Dilemma. And just consider your relationship to technology and your kids' relationship to technology. And to the teenager's credit, there's probably a dozen teenagers sitting here under the sound of my voice right now that in the last six months have come to Ryan, Damaris, me, or Kevin and said, this technology, it's not the technology's fault, but my access to it, my, my habits with it, is destroying my life. Help me. To the teenager's credit, I appreciate there's a good group here that already admits this is hurting me. I need some help. If you're in that case, I don't care the age, get it out into the light and let's deal with it. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.